Hi, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're we're beginning a, a new book of the Torah now. Uh, it's it's Sefer Shmos, which is talking about the the Jews, their enslavement in Egypt, and of course all the the miracles and 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 getting out and and there's there's a, a ton to discuss because you know until we reach the era of perfection that the world is evolving toward, which is the purpose of creation and the destiny of creation, um, all of all the world on some level is us uh, living in exile. And so the headquarters of exile, in terms of understanding it in the Torah, is really our experience in Egypt. But that also is sort of like a, a, an expansion of our experience uh, with the snake in the Garden of Eden, you know, which is also an exile that we experience, leaving the Garden of Eden. So that's, it's, they're all microcosms, right? You know, um, and, and we're going to sort of like uh, thread them through, you know, leading up to a, an understanding of, of leaving exile and, and entering into, you know, this, this era of perfection and, and, and what we can do toward advancing that. But to see it in a, in, in, through the perspective, interestingly, of the staff of Moshe. You know, we don't discuss the staff of Moshe so much. And it's, uh, when we think of Moshe, we think of Moshe, right? And appropriately so. And yet, if you actually look at the account of Moshe, from, from really the beginning to the end, what you see is, uh, you see is the presence of the staff that he was holding throughout. And so it's, it's worthwhile to look in because there's some very, very deep Torah about what this staff was. So a staff is a fancy word for a stick, right? And there's all sorts of teachings about what, what this stick was, what was engraved, names of Hashem engraved on this stick, and all sorts of things like this. But, but let's, just, let's just give a quick overview about this staff so that we, we, we actually see that, that it, 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 it appears throughout the life of Moshe. So when Moshe first becomes charged with the mission of taking the Jews out of Egypt, um, he, he has a staff. He is already in possession of a staff because remember, he's a, he's a shepherd. And he's traveled all the way to the farthest reaches of the desert after one of his sheep. And this in itself is is just a just a, a classic teaching that that um, somehow I think often gets lost in the shuffle, but very very important because we all want to know you know why was Moshe chosen? So many people to choose from, so many different generations. Why Moshe, and why at that moment? So at the moment that Moshe encounters the burning bush, he's actually chasing after a sheep who who is left the pack, right, the, the herd, and, and he's carrying him back. He said, you know, if I, if I knew that you were so tired, I, I would have I carried you, <laughs> right? And, and so, so the, the, the love for, um, for, for a creation, and it's not even a human being, it's an animal. The love for a creation that sort of not 100% at the time, that's in need of the help of another person. That act of compassion 
is, is the moment where all of history and all of reality turns and everything opens up. We talked about, um, we talked about the greatness of, of Yosef, that, that, that Yosef just goes into, while he's in prison, and he's in prison for something like 11 years at this moment, and he notices a person who has a sad look on his face. And how are you supposed to look when you're in prison? You know, I mean, who's in a great mood? I don't know. But he asks him, is everything okay? And again, that leads to him telling the troubling dream that he had, which leads to Yosef interpreting it, which leads to Moshe get, Yosef getting a reputation of being a great dream interpreter, so that when Paro needs to have his dream interpreted, Yosef interprets it, and he saves the entire world from starvation. So again, just like Moshe is, is going after a, a troubled animal and showing compassion toward that, and this leads to the Jews getting out of Egypt and the revelation of the Torah in the world, Yosef is just asking another person, how are you feeling? And this leads to the entire world being saved from starvation. So it's, it's, it's so important that we zero in on these things because we have to understand that we don't know the power of expressing just some love to another person, some kindness, some compassion to another person. We have no idea what the domino effect of that is, right? Then that other person feels a little bit better. Who knows what then they're able to accomplish? Who, who knows? We, we have no idea. And we should feel so, we, we shortchange ourselves. You know, we, 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 we say, okay, I'll feel good if I do X, Y, or Z. But anything under that, you know, is basically nothing. Let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. But it's not true. We so devalue the enormous, the enormous, you know, power of just acts of kindness. So, so anyway, we're, we're, we're still discussing the staff, but since right now Moshe is just at the edge of the desert helping this, 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 this sheep, <laughs> is, is, that, is that, sheep is plural, no? Is, is there a singular of sheep? What, okay, whatever it is. <laughs> it's, it's like fish. Fish, fish is singular and plural, right? So, okay, so I, I, think, I think there's a singular. Anyway, so, so let me just pause to just say another thought, then we're going to get back to the staff. But just something that I noticed the Shabbos that, that I was sort of excited by, which is, so, so I don't know if, uh, if you realize that where, when, when Moshe encounters the burning bush, that was at Mount Sinai. It uses a different word, a charev, which is another name for Mount Sinai. But in, in the Pasuk, in the verse in the Torah, it says charev, but it's Mount Sinai. That is Mount Sinai. They're synonymous. So just it's just good to have an overview that the mission to bring the Jews out of Egypt begins at Mount Sinai. So the whole when we say that the whole purpose of taking the Jews out of Egypt was to bring them to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, it's, it's, it's very elegant and very, you know, just very symmetrical that the entire episode begins at Mount Sinai. Right? So, so you see, but, but you see here the intentionality of God that, that it wasn't sort of like, oh, and then I took them out of Egypt, and then what am I going to do with them? Okay, I'll give them the Torah. That'll keep them busy. 
Right? It, it wasn't that. The whole point of taking them out of Egypt was to give them the Torah. And so the whole mission of taking the Jews out of Egypt begins at Mount Sinai. Now, here's the point. When was the Torah given at Mount Sinai? How many generations after the creation of, of, of the first human being? So the answer is 26. Okay? 26 generations from Adam to Moshe. Now this is for all of you who are already on the next step, all of you know that 26 is the numerical equivalent of the holiest name of God, the Yudke Vavke. That's 26, right? So it makes sense that it was given in the 26th generation because the Torah itself was the revelation of the holiness of God in this world. Also, keep in mind that the very first letter of the Torah is the letter Aleph of the word Anochi, Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt, right? Anochi, Aleph, it begins with the letter Aleph. Aleph is made with two Yuds and a Vav, which adds up to 26. So the Torah, which was given in the 26th generation, begins with the letter Aleph, which is also 26, which is another expression. These are all expressions of the revelation of the holiness of God. Now, by the way, there's, there are different um, opinions as to what God actually said at Mount Sinai. So the Gomorrah says that Hashem said the first two commandments, and then Moshe then continued on. Okay? And that's why the Gomorrah says that's how you learn out that the Torah has 613 commandments. Because the gematria of the word Torah, says the Gomorrah, is 611, plus the two that the first two that God said. That adds up to 613. That's how they derive that there's 613 mitzvot in the Torah. Okay, now listen to this. I heard this in the name of the Ger Rebbe, which is that Hashem said the first two commandments, according to this, according to the Gomorrah, the gematria of the word of the name Moshe is 345. So Moshe is 345. So Hashem said 1-2, and then Moshe continued, Moshe is 345. So you see, Moshe is just a continuation, right, of everything Hashem is saying. Now, with this in mind, as long as we're saying gematria is on Moshe, let's have another one. So I saw this from Rabbi Trugman. Rabbi Trugman said that when Hashem appears to Moshe at the burning bush, Hashem presents himself with the name Ehia Asher Ehia. Right? I will be that I will be. And the gematria of that is um, 543. So Rabbi Trugman points out something very beautiful. 543 is 543. And what's Moshe? Moshe is 345. So it's the same digits, but in reverse order. Like if you were to look, at, if three, four, five were to look into the mirror, it would see five, four, three. So, 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 so Rabbi Trugman says that when Moshe was speaking to Hashem at the burning bush, that Hashem was, was, was reflecting the potential inside Moshe, and Moshe was trying to 
bring down the light of Hashem into the world, since it's 543 facing 345. Each was mirroring each other. Each was trying to bring out the light within the other. So now, let's get back to this theme of 26. I didn't say the point yet. So again, the Torah was given in the 26th generation. So, so wait a second, just to finish the previous point. So one opinion is that Hashem said the first two commandments at Mount Sinai. I heard from Rabbi Shlomo this teaching. Another, he says, the Kabbalists say that Hashem just said the word Anochi, I am. Just I, I, you know, and then from that the entire Torah was known, right? And then he says the, deep, the deepest Kabbalists say that Hashem just pronounced the letter Aleph of Anochi at Mount Sinai. Now, Aleph is a silent letter. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine Hashem just pronounced the letter Aleph? How do you pronounce the letter Aleph? Right? But Hashem pronounced the letter Aleph, and the entire Torah was contained within that. But again, Aleph is 26, right? Because it's composed of two yuds and above, which is 26, which is the, the, numer- the numerical equivalent of the yud kevav ke. So Hashem who gave the Torah in the 26th generation with the letter Aleph, which is also 26. And the Torah itself is a the revelation of Hashem in this world, right? So with this in mind, I noticed one more piece in this, which is that if you look from the account from the birth of Moshe, in this, in this Parsha, Parsha Shmos, if you begin with the, the verse, which is the birth of Moshe, right? His parents getting together, right? Which is amazing, by the way, that um, when it talks about the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu, it just says, a man from the tribe of Levi took a woman from the tribe of Levi. Doesn't even say their names. It's just, that, that, that detail in itself is, is amazing. You know, uh, when Mordechai is trying to convince Esther to go to see uh, King Ahasuerus. He says, don't, don't kid yourself. The redemption is going to come either way. The Jews are going to be saved either way. The only question is, are you going to be the one who it comes through? That's your choice. But either way, the Jews are going to get saved. And so you see, it just says, a man from the tribe of Levi took a woman from the tribe of Levi. Meaning to say, on some level, the redemption was going to come either way. It doesn't matter who the names were. Now the question is, is Amram going to step up and marry Yochebed? Right? That's his choice. But either way, it's going to happen. The birth of Moshe is going to happen no matter what. Just like the redemption itself is going to happen no matter what. Just a question of who is going to have the schus, who is going to have the merit of raising themselves up and doing the work and really, you know, contributing those things which will be the turning points in terms of the history of the world. Okay. So if you count 26 psukim from the birth of Moshe, it ends with the word charev, which is Mount Sinai. <laughs> so, so if you begin, if you, if you go to the birth of Moshe, where it starts the birth of Moshe, and then you count 
26 verses, you get to Mount Sinai. It ends with, with Moshe arriving at the end of the desert. What's, what, is, what is the desert, by the way? The desert is exile. He arrives at the, it says, at the end of the desert. And then that's where he sees the burning bush at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. <laughs> so at the 26th Pasuk, the 26th verse after the birth of Moshe, he's at Mount Sinai. And the Ramban points out that the name, the, the name Yudke Vavke doesn't appear until Moshe appears at that point at Mount Sinai. <laughs> Right? You should double check that. But he says that the, the name Elohim is used throughout Parsha Shmos because Hashem, Elohim shows on divine judgment because Hashem is getting ready to bring judgment to the Egyptians. But when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, then, then Hashem is already revealing this name, this, the, the name Yudke Vavke. Um, so that's, yeah, here, I'll just read you the, the footnote here on page uh, 301 in the Stone Chumash. And this is from the Ramban. So, so, yeah, it says, yeah, let's see, let's double check that. Checking, you know, operators used to say, still checking. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? So you didn't think. That's why hold music is so great, because otherwise you're like, did they hang up on me? It depends on the hold music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so... Uh, I'll read you this. It says, The preponderant name of God in this chapter is Elohim, the name that connotes strict judgment, because he was about to judge Egypt for its excessive cruelty. And the three places where Hashem reveals himself to Moshe, verses 2, 4, and 7, however, he is called Hashem, the name of mercy, to show that his primary intention is to save Israel in a historic demonstration of divine mercy. Okay. So... So yeah, so we see that. Okay. So so now let's get back to the staff. We said that we're going to talk about the staff. So so when so Moshe has his staff and he he's gotten to the 26, right? To the 26th verse. He's gotten to Mount Sinai and and Hashem tells him to take the Jews out of Egypt and and Moshe, you know, wants to understand exactly how is this going to work. And, and by the way, let's just take a moment. You know, a lot of times we're, we're so familiar with this story that we forget just absolutely how way out this is, okay? So you have the greatest empire, one of the greatest empires that's ever exists on the face of the earth. And it, it's at its height. The Egyptian empire is at its height. And you have... And it's surrounded by desert, right? The vastness of desert. But you have this empire in the middle there. 
and you've got one man who has a terrible speech defect and his staff and he's on a donkey right and he's going in can you picture it like a, a movie the vastness of the desert the city that's sort of like in front of you in the middle of a desert and this one man is going to come in to free these slaves that have been enslaved for over 200 years and who are like deep in enslavement. And the Egyptians absolutely aren't letting them out. They see them as absolutely critical to their economy. That's on the here and now level. And on the mystical level, right, because the Egyptians were way into black magic and everything like this, they understand that the Jewish soul is something very, very powerful, and they want to make sure that they're harnessing it, you know, to make all of their designs run. So Rabbi Freeman pointed out something interesting. He said that they could have enslaved them to do anything. Why to build? Because they understood that the, the, that the purpose of the Jew in this world is to finish building the world. So they said, let's take that power of their building and use it for us. Make them build for us. And not only that, but let's make them make the materials themselves. Because there's a big emphasis in the Torah that the Jews weren't just building, but they had to make the bricks to build out of. And that he says, he says something very interesting too, that the bricks themselves was sort of like a, a bit of a new technology. Because stone was usually the normal building material. Using bricks in this way was interesting. So, and they had to make the bricks. So they had to make the, the bricks themselves. So anyway, so, so let's get back to the staff. So, so Moshe has the staff at that moment. And then Moshe also has the staff. Remember when he gives the first sign to Para, he puts the staff down, right? And it turns into a snake, right? And the Egyptian uh, necromancers, right? The Egyptian magicians say, that's not such a big deal. They throw down their staff and it also turns into snakes, right? They all throw down their staff. And then it says, Moshe's staff ate the other snakes and then turned back into a staff. That's how most people think it happened. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says that Moshe's staff, snake, turned back into a staff, and as a staff it ate the other snakes. There's <laughs> a gr way greater miracle than people think, oh, that's pretty cool, that then the snake ate the other snakes. So wasn't it? The staff ate the other snakes, which is even more amazing. But again, just to think of it, just, just to finish up that last point, just so... You have in mind, how could it be that one person without a machine gun, without a grenade, without anything, goes in and brings down an entire empire? It's, it is amazing. It is amazing. This is, this is who Moshe was. This is amazing. This is amazing. You have to think of it in terms of current politics. It's amazing. So... So where else do you see the staff? So when he first introduces him, when he first gets missionized by God, and, and there's a whole incident with the staff there, but we're going to concentrate on that. So 
I'm just holding off on that. There's a whole incident between Hashem and Moshe with the staff, which has amazing, am, am, amazing ideas behind it. We're going to get into that in a second. But I just want to show you just a through line of the staff for a moment. Then with Paro, he has the staff, right? Then during the plagues, right? Every time there's this, there are miracles, Moshe's using the staff. Then the splitting of the Red Sea, Hashem says, take your staff, right? And hold it up so the, the splitting of the entire Red Sea has the staff, right? Then when Moshe has to go into um, and bring water out of the rock, right? He hits the rock and then water comes out of the staff. And then at the very end, at the very, very end, God says, talk to the rock, right? And water is going to come out. And what happens? Moshe takes his staff and he hits the rock. And then that's the death of Moshe. Keep that in mind. That becomes the death of Moshe because Moshe is then told he's not going to lead the Jews into Israel. So, so from here you see, again, we don't always talk about the staff so much. But here you see that the staff is a through line of the entire story of Moshe Rabbeinu. From the, from the beginning, when he gets the mission at, at, at Mount Sinai, right? and we're going to go into more depth with the staff and that in, in one second, all the way to the end, when he uses the staff, when he misuses the staff, and then he's told he's going to die. Okay. So now let's get to that first instance. Um... So Moshe says, how do I know that the Jews are going to listen to me? Which is a, a very good question. And the Belzer Rebbe actually asks another question. If you actually look at the Sukkim, the Belzer Rebbe points out that Moshe was also concerned that Paro would listen to him, but that the Jews wouldn't listen to him. Could you imagine a situation like that where he says to Paro, let my people go, right? And, and by the way, that, 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 that phrase is, is horribly misused, horribly misused. And I'll tell you why. Because the verse says, let my people go so that they can serve God at Mount Sinai. It's not let my people go so that they can, you know, rock out at the mall, <laughs> right? It's not like we just want freedom for freedom's sake. We just want, we don't want to do the, that stuff. That, that's not it. The fullness of the, I mean, the fullness of the phrase and the whole intentionality, again, of getting out of Egypt was to be able to serve God. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. So when we just say, let my people go, it's a nice, it's, it's much catchier, but, but we do a great disservice to what the actual thought was, which is that the point of life is to be able to attach ourselves to the infinite. Because ultimately, if a person doesn't really have a goal, then they just use freedom to serve themselves. Which, which, is, which is essentially the world today. You know, more or less, more or less, without getting too heavy. To just have freedom, but not to have direction you just end up being a slave to your own whims because you don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know what to do with your time. 
So God, who knows everything, takes us out of Egypt, but then he allows us to attach ourselves to him in the deepest way. Right? If you think of it, anything short of that would have been cruelty. Right? Because we would have just exchanged the Egyptian masters to the masters of our own ego. Okay. So, so, so if you think about it, this is, this, this is a little bit, by the way, where we are today in the world. Because, um, so getting back to the Belzer Rebbe's concern, what if Paro says, what if he were to have said, because Moshe was thinking this through, Paro would have said, okay, they want to go. Oh, God wants them to go? Absolutely. Let them go. And then he goes up to the Jews, and the Jews go, oh, what? We're happy here. What are you talking about? You want us to go to Israel? <laughs> Does this sound familiar? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. This is not terrible. I mean... And by the way, it says that we were on the 49th level of impurity at this point, of Tuma, right? Impurity is a bad translation for that. 49th level of being lost, let's just say, or being distant from our mission, right? Now, it says that if we had stayed in Egypt another moment, we would have been unsavable. Now, most of the time people think of that in terms of somehow we would have fallen into these dark depths of, you know, blackness that we wouldn't have been able to have been pulled from. But I heard a much clearer, better uh, definition from that. By the way, I I, I actually even saw one Rebbe even ask the question, is there even a 50th level of Tuma? Is there anything that God can't save us from? So perhaps there isn't even, even though there is a 50th level of Kedusha, perhaps there isn't even a 50th level of Tuma. It's an interesting point, just philosophically, because there is no depth that God can't save us from. But anyway, nonetheless, the teaching is, and this is an authentic teaching that I'm about to say, had we stayed another moment, we wouldn't have been saved. We couldn't have been saved on some level. Why? Why? Because... Moshe would have said, okay, it's time to get out of slavery. And they would have said, slavery? No, 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 you have a mission. You guys are Jews. Jews? In other words, we would have gotten to such a depth of assimilation and servitude, we would have forgotten who we were and that we had anything to accomplish. And then that that is the ultimate state of being lost. So, so again, just I'm just reflecting on the Belzer Rebbe's uh, take on this because it's just kind of it just feels like such a contemporary thought. What if Paro had said they can go, and Moshe's wondering, and then the Jews don't want to go. And the reason why I say that's such a contemporary thought is because, you know, right now we're in America, but in, 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 in many lands, you know, uh, around the world, you know, I know there are exceptions, but in many lands around the world, no one is stopping the Jews from keeping any of the mitzvahs. 
you know, and if you go up to us, then it's sort of like, well, I don't know, why, why should I, right? So, anyway. So we have a lot of work to do because we, we have to remind our people, you know, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And, and you know, that, that's, that doesn't come from beating each other up. It comes from inspiring and educating, right? You're supposed to be doing this. Do this. That's, that's no, please don't do it that way. <laughs> that's, not, that's not it. It's let's figure out what the whole point is, you know? And then once we start with the point, then let's then, okay, then how best to accomplish that point? And then you'll arrive at all of the things like mitzvot and all the rest, right? But first you have to start with the, what, what are the, what's, why did God make the world to begin with, right? Okay. So now, keep on promising, I'm going to tell you this amazing thing, so I think we're ready to do it. So, so, uh, so, Moshe says to, to Paro, um, or rather, uh, Moshe asks Hashem by the burning bush, how do I know the Jews are going to believe me? And by the way, it's always good to point out, the Talmud says, that conversation by the burning bush lasted seven days, right? Because it's just a few verses in the Torah. So you might think it was a quick conversation. It was seven days long, Okay. Moshe says to Hashem, how do I know the Jews are going to believe me? And Hashem gives him a series of signs. The first sign that he gives him is he says, take your staff, right? Still talking about the staff. Take your staff, throw it down. And so Moshe throws his staff down and it turns into a snake. And Moshe runs from it. Now listen to this. This is terrifying, actually. The Shalah HaKodesh, who's one of our greatest, greatest rabbis in history, right? Says that it turned into the snake from the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine? Like how terrifying a moment that must have been? It says Moshe ran. Do you think, if, you, if you're a shepherd in the, in the middle of the desert, you know what one thing you're used to? Snakes. <laughs> You're not running from snakes every time you see a snake. That's, you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of just what's in the middle of the desert. He saw this snake and he ran. Then Hashem says, so that's big idea number one, that it was the snake from the Garden of Eden. That's, that's big idea number one. Big idea number two, and this is from Rav Moshe David Vali, who was um, a, a contemporary in the Chavrusa of, of, of the Ramchal, right? This is in Italy. And they found, like, um, they found his writings fairly recently, like thousands of pages of Torah from, like, the, the Chavrusa of the Ramchal, right? The Ramchal... It's one of our greatest, 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 right? So this is like this treasure trove that's just starting to be dipped into. And Rabbi Baron is 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 putting out some of these tars, amazing, amazing tars. Um, so he says he says that 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 
now look at the next phrase that Hashem told Moshe, don't run, right? It was a natural reaction to run. Don't run. Grab the tail of the snake. So Moshe grabs, he says, reach out your hand and grab the tail of the snake. Okay? Now listen to this. This is an unbelievable Torah. This is from Rav Moshe David Vali. Unbelievable Torah. Stretch out your hand. Your hand, how do you, how do you say hand? Yad. Yad, right? What is, the, what is the tail of the snake? The tail of the snake, says Rav Moshe David Vali, is the letter Shin, because Nachash is Nun Ches Shin. That's how you spell snake, Nachash. So the tail of the snake is the letter Shin, because that's the last letter of the word snake. That's the tail. The tail is the end, right? So he says, Hashem says, stretch out your Yad and grab the Shin, right? Grab the tail. So if you arrange those letters, Yudalad and Shin, it spells the name Shaddai, which is the name of God. Right? And this is the name that Hashem used, which means as the, as the remember, God took, right? This is the original, truest expression, at least in spiritual terms, of the Big Bang Theory. God took a one point of matter, which was from the foundation stone of the Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. This is how God created the world. And then he expanded that out. And it kept on expanding until Hashem uttered this name of his, Shaddai, which means enough. Right? By the way, with this in mind, just something I noticed, every mezuzah, which is at the end of a room, has that name of God on it. That's what the shin on a mezuzah stands for. And sometimes they spell out shin dalad in yud, right? But that's the end of the room. That's where the room ends. That's where Hashem uttered that name and the universe stopped expanding at that moment, right? So God says, reach out your yad and grab the tail of the snake, the shin. And so that spells the name Shaddai, which then turns the snake back into a staff. Right? The evil ends. That name of God puts a limitation on something, and the evil ends. The snake, which represents evil, turns back into a staff. And he goes on to say that at the end of days... Evil itself has an end. And at the end of days, it will end. Evil will end. Right? And it ends through this power of God, through this power of Torah. Now, remember, when Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, it brought death into the world. Right? Because they listened to the snake, it brought death into the world. And so I promised you that we would get to this idea. With the staff throughout Moshe's life, 
how does Moshe die? Moshe takes the staff, and instead of speaking to the rock, he hits the rock. In other words, this staff, which was harnessed snake energy, <laughs> and we'll get more into what I mean by that, it was sublimated state snake energy, right, which brought death into the world. When he hits the rock, he dies through the snake, which brought death into the world. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing. And in fact, you see the Gomorrah talks about certain people who only died, who never had any sin, including like Benjamin, Benjamin, the, the brother of Yosef. It says the, there, there are certain people, that's a short list of people. Yishai, the father of King David, is on this list as well. It's a short list of people who had no sin ever in their entire life, and the only reason why they died was because we ate from the tree of knowledge and death was brought into the world. Only because death exists did they die. It's a short <laughs> list, but there is such a thing as a person who has gone through their life without ever having done anything wrong. So, so Moshe hits the rock, the snake, right? So, so now... Let's uh, let's go further. You know, so so Rav Moshe David Vali then says something very interesting. He says he says when you grab the tail of the snake, of the nachash. That's how you say snake in Hebrew, right? When you grab the tail of the snake, which is the last letter, the letter Shin, and you remove it, because God says, grab the tail of the snake. So what does that leave? The letters Nun and Ches, which is Nach, Noach. Nach means rest. Because when you remove the Shin, which is going to happen at the tail of history, the end of days, the Shin will be removed, we will have rest, right? Because that's what the word spells without the shin. Nach, noach. We're going to have rest from the Yetzirah. We'll be free from death. Now, I want to tell you something. We're going to switch, right? Switch from one Torah great to another Torah great. Torah Yitzhak Isaac Chaver and tell you some of the things he says about this staff. Again, amazing, amazing things. So before we get to this, we have to go deeper, and perhaps we should have said this sooner, but hopefully it's still coming at a good time. Just want you to contextualize something, because when we're talking about this staff, we're talking about more than just the stick that Moshe Rabbeinu was holding. What we're talking about is Mashiach. Um, we're talking about the ultimate rectification of everything. The ultimate fixing of everything. Now, you see this in an amazing way. Because Mashiach, the gematria of Mashiach, is 358. The gematria of snake 
is 358. <laughs> now, the connection is, is so central. Because, remember, when Adam and Chava were created, they still, even before they ate from the tree of knowledge, they still had work to do. To work and guard the garden. Okay? And then they were supposed to do this. And then, remember, they're created just a few hours before, on the sixth day, just a few hours before Shabbos. They do this work. And then all of a sudden, that would be the ultimate fixing. That first Shabbos would have been Mashiach, and that would have been the end of history. That was plan A, right? That was the, that was the original version. And as such, the way Rabbi Green put it one time, and I love this so much, it's an amazing framing of, of, of history. All of history since then has been an extension of the period before Shabbos. In other words, all of history since then is one long Arab Shabbos. Right? Because they were created Arab Shabbos and they were supposed to go right into Shabbos. So what's happened since then is God keeps on extending Erev Shabbos, because Shabbos, remember, the, the Messianic period is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. Hashem just keeps on extending Erev Shabbos until we get it right, and then Shabbos arrives, the great Shabbos. So, so w- w- all of us have this energy within ourselves that we have to uplift and clarify. We have like this, the Yetzirah, which is this, this, you know, this energy which tries to get us to go and do the wrong thing, or to misuse our life force. And so what we try to do is we, we wrestle, so to speak, or we deal with that energy, and we try to put it, we try to make it upright. This thing that is crooked, we try to make it upright. So with that in mind, it makes perfect sense that the gematria for the word snake, which is that energy of negativity, is also the gematria of the word Mashiach, which is fixing. Because we're dealing with that energy, and when we rectify that same energy, we bring redemption to the world. Of course it's the same number. Of course we're dealing with the same thing. Of course we are. So now, with this in mind, you know, very interesting uh, thing we see at the end of uh, Sefer Breshis, at the end of the, the book of Genesis. Yaakov Avinu is giving blessings to each of his sons, and, and he's comparing them to animals, most of them, likening them to animals, like their particular energy. Now, the tribe of Dan... Don is a very interesting tribe because Don is basically the lowest spiritually of all the tribes. Okay? And that's why when you have like the construction of the Mishkan, by the way, you have someone from the tribe of Yehuda, who's the king, right? And someone from the tribe of Don. And the two of them are working together. By the way, at the, 
the leader of the front in the march through the desert, the ordering of the tribes as they march through the desert, the leader of the front group was the tribe of Yehuda, and the leader of the back group was the tribe of Dan. All right? So you, when it comes to making um, the Mishkan, right, which is the portal, the, the connection between heaven and earth, you have from the highest and from the lowest. Remember, the lineage of Mashiach, Mashiach comes from the kings of Israel, but he's also from the, the Lod and his daughters, from, 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 that's Moab, right? And from, from, from the, the king of Moab, right? Who's trying to curse the Jews with, with Bilaam, right? So, so, so Mashiach himself, his bloodline encompasses all of humanity, Jews and non-Jews, from the highest to the lowest, because when Mashiach comes, he's going to represent all of humanity. Right? That's I learned that from Reb Shlomo. All of humanity. So that's that's important. That's important. So again, again, it makes sense that the gematria of Nachash, snake, is also the gematria of Mashiach, because all of us are wrestling with this negative energy, and we're going to bring it up, and we're going to rectify it. Right? Okay. But let's get back to Don. When Yaakov Avinu blesses the tribe of Dan, he compares them to a snake. Right? So that's, that's interesting, right? That's primal energy. And remember, Dan represents the lowest spiritually of the tribes, right? And it says the snake bites you in the heel, right? And the heel has messianic connotations. Ikve de Mashiach, the heel of Mashiach, the end of days. And I won't demonstrate it for you, but you can do it at home. It's so interesting. If you walk from one room to another room, the last part of your body that leaves the previous room is your heel. Because when we're passing from one era of, of reality to the next, it makes sense. The heel of Mashiach, that's the end of days. That's the last part, right? So again, Don is compared to a snake. And we talk about the transformation from the snake to the staff, right? And we do it through the power of Torah. And that's the rectification of this primal energy. Now listen to this. Now, with that in mind, we're ready to hear from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver. He says, take the name Adonai, spelled now Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud, Right? So he says, he says, if you take the middle two, the, the, the middle two um, letters, it's Dan, right? Which is the snake, yeah? And then if you take the last two letters that surround the snake, right? Which is Dan, it's, it's, um, Aleph and Yud, right? Which adds up to, that's Aleph is, right? Because Aleph, Dalit, Nud, and Yud, the middle two letters are Dan. And then on either side is Aleph and a Yud, which adds up to 11. 11, says Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver, is 6 plus 5. So 6 plus 5 is what? That's the five books of the Torah and the six orders of the Mishnah. So it's the it's the entirety of the Torah. 
It's the written Torah, Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat are surrounding the snake. Right? Now, let's look at the word mata. Mata, yeah, is, let's see, does that, does that work? Okay, so that, that makes the staff. So in other words, that's what's, that's what's, that's what's transforming. Don, that's the snake energy in the middle, right? And then the Torah surrounds it. And that's what turns the snake into the staff. That's the rectification of that energy by using Torah, by surrounding yourself with Torah, you're able to transform that snake energy into the staff, which is ultimately ultimately Mashiach. Right? So, so yeah. So, how do we... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hold off on that because I have to look into the gematria of this staff before I speak further on that. It's... It's... That... Is that 254? I mean, I just did it, so I think... Is... Is that? Dan. Dan. Oh, that, that's what it was. Okay, I knew there was a... I knew there was a okay, good. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. So, Dan is, is 54, and that's Mata. Right, I just looked up Mata. Yeah, good. Thank you, thank you. So, 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 so that, that, those middle two letters, which is um, of, of Adonai, right, are... That's that Dan, which is the snake... But the snake is the same gematria, Dan, which is compared to the snake, as Mata, which is the staff. So how do you turn the snake into a staff? With the surrounding letters, the Aleph and the Yud, which is 6 and 5, which is the Torah Shabbat Tzav and Torah Shabbat Peh. Through the Torah itself, you transform that energy, that 358 of Nachash, of snake, into 358 of Mashiach. Right? That's the rectification. That's the whole thing. So it makes sense that Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the through line of revealing God's word into this world, which is the Torah, which is the tools that God is giving us to fix everything, right? That it makes sense that Moshe's journey is completely accompanied by this staff, which is this, which is this microcosm, Right? The staff, when we get into the inner story of the staff, as we've done right now, we see that the whole story of the staff itself is the story of the transformation of that negative energy to that positive energy. Right? And interestingly, now let's just wrap it up and we'll just revisit that miracle by the first time that he meets Paro. He throws down the staff and most people think that... The, his snake eats the other snakes. Right? But that's not what it says. It says his, his staff turns into a snake, but then it turns back into a staff, and the staff eats the other snakes. You see, because when you... It's not that my passions overwhelmed your passions. <laughs> 
is that when I rectified my passions, I was able to eliminate all passions. Not that a person ceases to have any passion when they, when they fix themselves. You, you have passions, but you've, you've, you've sublimated them, you've taken them, and you've elevated them, and you've directed them in, in, in the most perfect ways. So that you become this amazing engine of life, right? So we're in this period right now called Shovavim. This is a special period in the calendar. And each of the letters of the word Shovavim talks about, is, is a, it's an acrostic for all of these Parshas that we're in right now. Starting with the Shin is Shmos. And it's ending with the, with the Mem of Mishpatim. Right? And you'll see, if you go letter by letter, you'll see it's each of the letters. And this is from the words of the, the prophets that it talks about our waywardness, but also ultimately our redemption. So this time right now is a special time in the calendar where we're tracking from our enslavement to our redemption. And so this is an especially good time to turn the snake into a staff and to increase in Torah study and to understand that there's an opening right now where we can do a lot of fixing. Because whatever's going on in the Torah is going on in the world. And what's going on in the Torah right now is that great transformation, that great transformation of being enslaved to being really masters, right? Remember, the, the first mitzvah that we got as a nation when we left being slaves was to make a calendar. Because the first thing a slave can do when they're free is to become a master of their own time. Right? That's why we're making a calendar first and foremost. And I'll just really end on this point in terms of this transformation because it has to be a transformation in terms of how we think about ourselves as well. Okay? Now Sefer Shmos is, is also called Sefer Geula which means the book of our redemption. Now if you start to read Sefer Shmos you'll say, well wait a second, this is really the book about us being like tortured to death, essentially. We're being it's a horrible servitude, slavery. We're talking about it to this day, how horrible it was to be slaves in Egypt. Right? Yet it doesn't, it's not called the book of slavery. It's called Sefer Gu'ula, the, the, the book of our redemption. So, so we're talking about it a little bit on Shabbos, but I think it's, I want to end on this point. In terms of our own life, a lot of us, if, you want to, if we wanted to tell you the story of our lives, we'll tell you, oh yeah, I had this horrible upbringing, and then I was in this horrible situation, and then I moved to that horrible situation. <laughs> and the, our own internal narrative, our own history, is, 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 is the story of our enslavement, essentially. Right? But that's not how the Torah calls us. Right? The Torah calls it Sefer Geula. This is, this is the, the, the book of our redemption. Right? So we have, it, it's called Sefer Shmos, really. Technically it's called Sefer Shmos, the book of names. Because we have the power, what name we want to give to our process. Right? And how we define our travel through this world. Right? And that's very, very, very important because you have that power. 
to give a name, Sefer Shmos, to give a name to what your journey is. You get to choose. You get to choose. And that will totally color how you get through this world and who you define yourself as being. Right? So let's start there because, again, this is, right now, there's a big opening of transition right now, this period of Shovavim, going from enslavement to the splitting of the sea to the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai to just being our own nation. This is happening right now. So there's a, a molding that can take place right now, and it begins with Shmos, how you decide to define your own journey and who you are. And you have the ability to stop defining yourself through the series of your own shortcomings and traumatic experiences and to redefine it and to come up with another name. Okay, so Hashem should bless us that we should understand that all of us are on the path to perfection, to peace, and, and we're all getting there. Okay. Here are some questions and answers. When you were talking about like, the whole thing with Mashiach and everything, I just got so thankful. Like It was really a point in time in my spiritual development that I was a Jew. Yeah. Like it was I started crying. I was like, wow, like we have the words of life. We have the book of life. It really is the understanding of the universe and the world and everything. And like that is a special, special destiny. That's a special responsibility. Like I just started crying. It was like such a lucid moment. It was beautiful. It's amazing. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, Say Torah Chaim. The Torah is the Torah of life. Yeah. It's really wow.